ladies and gentlemen. I know you're still enjoying your lunch, but before we take a time, we're going to move ahead with our program. Uh, before we do that, though, I do want to acknowledge President Kim Charlton. Thank you for being with us, for sharing your last luncheon as president. Thank you, thank you. And I think there's some other board members here. I know I already acknowledge Mitch, and I hear Ray. Any other board members, current board members present? Thank you, Ray. Ray's always a, a, a definite faithful supporter of multicultural. So thank you so much, Ray, for being here. Okay, we're going to move ahead with our program. So we're going to have Cheryl Cummings to come up and introduce the program this afternoon. But before we do that, I want to give a special thanks to Cheryl and Pam for actually locating this group who's going to present to us this afternoon. And an extra special thanks to Pam Nett for sponsoring the group for us this afternoon. Wasn't in our budget, but she took it from herself and gave her a hand for doing that. So thank you very much, Pam and Cheryl. If you'll come up and introduce the group, and we'll get started with our program. Well, welcome everybody to the uh, presentation part of our luncheon today. My name is Cheryl Cummings, and um, I've got to say one thing. When you join MCAC, show up for the meetings, because when you don't, Peggy assigns you the things. <laughs> But I want to acknowledge that um, our committee consisted of uh, me, Pam, and Sandra Sermons, who um, I've got to say, Sandra was so helpful because um, in, she was um, actually the one who helped us to find um, Akola, who will be joining us in a few minutes. Um, and what, what we really loved about, uh, as soon as we read the information about Akola, was that it was going to give us uh, a little tour into the history of America and the history of Rochester. So we're so excited and so um, delighted to have this opportunity to learn and to delve into American history and to delve into Rochester history. So without further ado, I'll invite Ruth Anderson of Akaba to come up, or the whole Akaba team. We are partners in 
the struggle for freedom. See, most folks don't know that. Me and Frederick, we were partners when we first met up. Now, he was born in Maryland. Well, folks don't know, I was born in Maryland, too. Denton, Maryland, to be exact. I was the first one of my parents' children born free. Seven of my siblings were born into slavery. So when I turned 17 years old, I decided that it was time I became independent. And I moved to Baltimore, Baltimore City. Now to my surprise, they had many free colored people there. And I became friends with some of them. And I used to attend the anti-slavery society meetings. Yes. And they were wonderful people. Now that's where I met Frederick. Yes. Now when I met him, I was surprised that he was still a slave. But you know, he was burning, burning to be free. In his spirit, he, he, he wanted to be a free man. And I introduced him to some of my friends, some of my free colored friends. And you know, we used to, we started coming up with a plan. Oh yes, we came up with a plan. One of my friends said he would loan Frederick his semen protection papers. The next one said he would loan Frederick his horse and carriage. And you know, I could sew very well. So I sewed him a sailor suit. Because you know, Frederick knew how those sailors walked and talked. He knew. And he started practicing how they walked and how they talked. And I tell you, that morning, when Frederick came by my house to prepare to leave, now, I worked for two families when I was in Baltimore. And because I lived with them, hmm, I could save my money. And that morning when Frederick came and he tried on that sailor suit, my, my, my. Yes, yes, I, he looked so handsome. Yes, he did. And you know, I gave him all the money I had saved up. And the reason I did that because I saw my future with Frederick. So I was invested in our future. Now don't get me wrong, we were scared. Because you see, if the authorities had found out what we were doing, all of us would have went to prison. And you know, my Frederick, they probably would have sent him further south and I never would have seen him again. But you know, we trust God. We trust God and we pray. And the plan was that when Frederick got to New York City, he would get word back to me and then I would come <laughs> and we would be married. Oh yes, we would be married. And when the plan, when the word got back to me, I started packing. I packed up 
a feather bed. Oh, yeah. I sold one because I needed more money. And I packed up china, dishes, silver, everything. I packed up. You name it, and I packed it up. I even packed up my wedding dress. You want to know what color it is? Oh, it was a beautiful plum color. Oh, yes, and I went to New York City, and we were married. Now, the first name we took was Johnson. But you know, we had a friend there that told us, there's too many people named Johnson, because you know, many of the freedom seekers, when they got the freedom, they changed their names. So we were Johnson for a minute until we went to Massachusetts, and you know, one of his friends said uh, he had been reading this book, Lady of the Lake. And he said, you know, there's a name in there that I think will fit y'all. And it was Douglas. And you know what Frederick did? He looked at that name, and he added an S. Because my Frederick always wanted to be different than everybody else, because he's just that important. And when I looked at that name, I said, Mr. and Mrs. Frederick Douglass. I love the way that sounded. Now, we started having babies when we got to Massachusetts. I used to take in laundry, and Frederick would work on the shipyard. Oh, we work. But you know, Freddie started telling people about his life as a slave. And folks wanted to hear him. Oh, yes, and he started making speeches. But you know, we heard about this woman in Rochester, Susan B. Anthony, and how she felt about the women's rights and even the rights for the colored people. And Frederick wanted to start his own newspaper. So that's when we came to Rochester. Our first home wasn't far from here, East Avenue and Alexander. I love that little home. You know, Frederick played the violin. I don't know if you knew that, but he played the violin and he was very good. And he would sit in the parlor by the window. <laughs> oh, I get just, I just be so happy when I sit back and remember those things. And the children in the neighborhood, they would come up to the window and they would listen. And you know, Frederick always pretended that he didn't know they were there. <laughs> oh, he loved children. And then we bought another home. It was a farm on South Avenue. Now, see, folks don't understand that Frederick's job was to make the speeches to tell people that slavery is the devil's work. And my job, my job was to manage the house. Because when I used to work for the family, the Wells family and the Montero family in Baltimore, that's when I knew. I knew that my gift was managing a household, and that's exactly what I did. I managed our household, and I made sure that our children were well taken care of, and I made sure that my Frederick had clean, starch, white, beautiful shirts, so when he would make those speeches, I would feel proud. Yes, I would feel so proud. Yes, managing a household was my job. And taking care of the freedom seekers, you know. 
Because we never know when Moses was going to bring her, her passengers through. Over there on South Avenue, oh, we had many people come through our home. And it wasn't an easy task. We had people that would come and stay for days. Some stayed for weeks. Some stayed for months. We even had some that stayed for years. So you know that I had plenty to do. Yes, I did, but I didn't mind because Frederick and I are partners, partners in this struggle. And let me share one little incident and in how you know how much of a partner Frederick and I are. Well, you know, when Frederick was away, he would always send money home when he could because, you know, traveling was expensive. And then I would work do laundry, take in laundry and things like that. Well, we were sitting in the parlor and I got up and I gave Frederick our bank book. And when Frederick opened that bank book, he saw that I had deposited all the money that he sent home and I had added money that I had earned. And my Frederick, he was so taken. He just could smile and just say, Anna. So you see, folks never knew, they don't know, that everything we do is because of our partnership in the struggle for freedom for our people. Now there's one thing I would ask of you as you travel about, and you hear people talk about Frederick, and you will hear people talk about Frederick, I would like for you to remind some, enlighten others about me, Anna Murray Douglas, because I am Frederick's partner partner in the struggle. Frederick is able to go out all over the world, all over the world, and tell people how bad slavery is and how people have a right to be free. And my job is to stay home and take care of the home, the family, the children, the freedom seekers. And without that, Frederick would not be as successful as he is. Now, I would like for you to meet some people that will come and share with you about their struggle to be free. Thank you. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. 
Sometimes I feel like a motherless child, lonely from home, lonely from home. I have suffered plenty evils at the hands of man. Now don't get me wrong, men are right. Even that one that says I, Sojourner, had to prove that I was a woman. You know some folks think Harriet Tubman is a man. What man could imagine a woman doing all she is doing? But let me tell you, my sister Harriet is a woman, and I'm a woman too. You hear me? A woman. See, men have this thing about pride and manhood. And they should have some of that. But they get things all mixed up, trying to prove things through force of arms. Well, sometimes that might be the case. But in this troubled world now, more is required of the man and the woman more is required because time, time, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to render, and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. What profit have the worker for his toil? Now I have seen the travail, the business which God has given to all of us to be busy in it. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set eternity into all of our hearts so that no one knows the work of God from the beginning to the end of time. Time, time. At this time, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, and a sister named Adeline, all of us are gonna tell you and you about a time in a life. I thank you for your hearing.
Thank you, Mr. Hearn. Thank you very much. You've done me a great service by giving me this message, but I, I hope you were not detected. I tried to dissuade the captain, Captain John Brown, of the recklessness, the hopelessness, the path he was preparing to take. He said yes. What he's done is just reckless. He said with Gleason, I found But you it. see, John Brown, John Brown was, was a good man at heart. His desire was to lead the fight against need to fight to destroy slavery in this country. What do you want? He and 21 other men seized the, seized the arsenal, the federal arsenal at Harper's Ferry, Virginia. Men have died. Members of his band, dead. Two of Brown's sons dead. Brown himself seriously wounded. Should any survive, should Shield Green and any of the other colored men with John Brown survive, let me tell you that they too will face the anger, the determination of a nation that calls itself a land of the free and home of the brave. The government will see that they too, like John Brown, will be hanged. John Brown, you know about the zealot, a man who in Kansas for a few years was killing slave owners and trying to make an impression on the government to end this thing called slavery. But Brown has cost lives both of those who were pro-slavery and also the men who were with him on that raid at Harpers Ferry, Virginia. Yes, yeah, Shield Green. Shield Green, you, you know of him? Well, let me tell you. Shield Green was not literate, he, but he had a good heart. Shield Green was from South Carolina, where he had been enslaved. You know, cotton, indigo, that sort of thing. He went well, obeying, shall we say, his masters, those who owned him. But over time, it became more and more difficult for him. As I get the story from him after our first meeting, after his escape from slavery, he told me about how it got to a very desperate point, and then he encountered a woman a fellow enslaved person. A woman, somebody he called Adeline. Slavery 
slavery. Never turned shields into some kind of beast. Said he felt like killing somebody or something. But then we met up. I liked him right off. And he said he liked me too. And then when I sort of showed him that I liked him, <laughs> he calmed right down. He said his mind not on Karen no more. His mind on Adeline. <laughs> we get permission to jump the broom. You know what that is? Jump the broom. Yeah, that's when these two peoples be getting married. After the elder announced us husband and wife, we jump over this here broom these two peoples be holding, and we come down in the land of marriage. Then for long, here come a little old bubble, a little old baby, a little bitty thing. He sure didn't look like he was gonna grow up to be no big old strapping man, but you know, we were happy with him, just the way he was. Now I ask you, wouldn't that seem to be a scenario, a beautiful picture, dream if you will? Yes, but the evils in the society soon came crashing down on our young friends. Me and Sheila, we get along just fine. Lived on a plantation near Charleston, South Carolina. Hmm. See, slavery is a hard life, hard life. But if you got a family, you can make do, spite of slavery. And we make do. For now about three years, we make do. But I tell you, all the time, the devil was rising up, rising up. First time, Master say, Adeline, it's time you get another baby. See, Master and that overseer, they ain't happy less than all the young women on the plantation getting babies. So we don't pay them no money, folks. But then, that little nasty overseer, he come down there grabbing on me, grabbing on me. And he say, Adeline, it's time you get another baby. I don't tell Shield what that nasty overseer do, I don't tell him. But then, one day, when that there overseer come down there grabbing on me, she'll see. And that's when she'll went up to him and say, what you down here after my wife? And that's when that, them men and that overseer, they grabbed she'll and they put chains on him and they beat him and they beat him. They beat him like he was some kind of beast. And they take me, me and my boy, to another plantation. 
And you know what they did? They give me to some buck so he could get big children out of me. I'm so ashamed, so ashamed. She was my husband. And I don't want no babies coming out of me less than they shields. And they tell me to just keep beating on shields and beating on them and tell them he got to go back to work. And she'll say he's not going back to work. I know. I know my shields. He going to make them pay. He going to make them pay for what they done done. And they tell me that shields all of a sudden, he, he get up and he, and he go back to work. He make like he don't learn his lesson. And then, hmm, when they not looking at him so close, lickety, lickety split, just like Brug Rabbit. Through that briar patch, he went to freedom. Now my folks from the plantation run into me. He been running for weeks, hiding out in the forest, dodging snakes and critters and things, crossing swamps. He most dead, but they nurse him long. Then they put him to work right alongside them. Hmm. Old overseer can't tell difference between shields and one of their regulars. They hide him good. But that shield, he just a burning to get free. Now when he started talking about freedom, they commenced to talking about me, Tag Covenant. They say, Moses this, Moses that. He is he confused? He said, that Moses some kind of conjure man? <laughs> Elder laughed till they bout to cry. Say, Moses. She don't need no conjure. She's in with the law. Steal away. Us in trouble. 
He not had to pull me a steel gun on one of them. But still, I'd have had to shoot him to keep him from going on. Now he kind of reminds me of that old song. Woke up this morning with my mind set on freedom. Hallelujah. Now we decide we best get on up to Philadelphia. Meet my friend William Still. Now he a free colored man. Still they know nothing about no free colored man. So William Still, he gives us clothes and place to stay. And we rest it up a bit and then decide we better go on up to Rochester. Meet up with Frederick Douglass. Now Fred Douglas, he knows how to tell people about slavery, cause he done been there. He not put out a newspaper, so folks up north know slavery is the devil's work. And he's helping them to seeking their freedom to get on up to Kennedy. He the main man on the Underground Railroad of Rochester way. Now somebody put out a newspaper Got to be a buckler, right? A white man. But they tell me when she found out Mr. Douglas be black, he said, my God. He said, that was one color man he got to me before he died. <laughs> and, and the way Moses tell it that uh, Mr. Douglas, he a big, strong, strapping man. Looks like he could be three, four men all by himself. But you know what? She said, and more toying than that. She said, he the kind of man that make you feel like you're worth something. Now I introduce Shields Green to Fred Douglas. I say, Fred, Shields done come all the way from South Carolina to seek you freedom. Welcome, Shields Green. Welcome to Rochester. And that, oh, what a grand time we had. I had Shields and the other freedom seekers with him to sit down at dinner. And my wife was preparing the best food for them, and they were, were delighted to be in such a family. You know, after a while and by and by, when the, when the eating was done, we began to talk, and the freedom seekers began to share their stories with me about where they had been, how they had been, when they met up with, with, with Moses, Harriet Tubman, and on and on, all through the night. It was just, but I was fascinated by the story brought to me, to my ears and into my heart by Shield Green. I was stricken with love and admiration for him and the woman he called Adeline, the wife, the mother of his children. Well, after several days there, I'm going around to our colleagues in the Rochester area collecting donations. For you see, the enslaved people, formerly enslaved people, now seeking freedom over in Canada, they would need some funds to help them get started until they could find the work themselves. So after a few nights, I had a pretty good amount. And I had my son pitch the mayor to the cabin. And the freedom seekers clambered aboard. That night we made our way down to the heart of the city 
and then north up along the banks of the Genesee River. And finally we came to that spot and I had my son to stop the carriage. The three sisters and I got on. And we began to make our way down the hill. Now it was a dark night. Clouds covered the moon. As we were making our way down the hill, there was a noise that was upsetting to the freedom sisters because they didn't know what it was. And there came a point when the clouds parted and the brightest of moon shone down on a waterfall some 90 feet high. Yes, and there, there, not far from the waterfall, was a wharf. And tied to the wharf was a boat. The boat that would carry the freedom seekers up the Genesee River and across Lake Erie into Canada, the land of the free. Yes, that, that waterfall and that river and that freedom boat under a Rochester moon was a sight to see. Seal said, freedom in Canada was mighty fine, except for the cold. <laughs> he said a whole time he'd been in Canada, he ain't seen not one cotton plant. But then he had time to think about Rochester. Shields said the first time he laid eyes on Fred Douglas, he gets this feeling that he and Fred Douglas were close kin. And it seemed as though Fred Douglas could see the inside of him where it hurt. Now mind, Fred Douglas got a wife, Miss Anna. She's a blessing to Fred. And I know she had to be an angel to Shields Green. See, slavery done took Fred Douglas' mama and grandmama away from him, just like they took Adeline's husband away from her. And the slavers, they just beat on his body and beat on his body, tried to kill his spirit. But you know what? Douglas put that strength to work to try to wipe out freedom. Well, try to wipe out slavery. Now, fugitive law or no fugitive law, Shields Green decides he's going to go back to Rochester. And see that fugitive law say, even if, it, if you're in a free state, old master can try to come up and claim what he calls his property, even if they're free. So Shields Green said he don't care. He come on back to Rochester. And that's where he met up with John Brown, Captain Brown. See, John Brown and Fred Douglas, they comrades in the struggle to wipe out slavery. Douglas want to steal more peoples out of slavery. Douglas want to make the Underground Railroad strong. Douglas want to agitate, agitate, agitate. See his voice like thunder. Rolling across the water. He speaks from experience, because he done been there. Douglas knows what it's like to have people took from him. He knows what it's like to have the rich get rich off of the back of the captive people. He knows what it's like. 
Douglas knows what it's like. Yes, he knows. Douglas knows what it's like. It is time. It is time. For Shields Green, there was not enough time for family. Not enough time for lessons. Not enough time. But you, and all of you, and me, we are bound to Shield Green by the same timeline, which is the freedom struggle. Rochester, New York. A quabba that Heritage Associates has been pleased to bring to you our interpretation of the essential time in history. Episodes that we call a time in the life of Frederick Douglass, Shields Green, and a woman called Moses. But to bring all that to, to you, it was essential that we not only have a Douglas voice, but we also have the person who gave the unity to the family, therefore the foundation that allowed Frederick to grow into the figure that he was. That person was Miss Anna Murray Douglas, who today was portrayed by Miss Shirley. What's her name, Tristan? <laughs> As my sisters have reminded me, you didn't see it over there, they slapped me upside the head and took me 10 minutes because Miss Shirley Cow was also uh, not only Adeline in, in this uh, presentation, but she gave us the preliminary, the, the, uh, the role that Harriet, that uh, Anna Murray Douglas played in, in bringing this family together. So, yeah. I'm sorry. I also, I was Anna Murray Douglas, as you said, and I also portrayed Adeline for Shields Green's wife. And I am Carolyn Edwards, Dr. Carolyn Edwards, they make me say it. And um, today I was Moses, also known as Carolyn And I am Eunice White, and I did the opening dialogue for Sojourner Truth. And uh, Frederick Douglass, of course, was portrayed by Dr. David Anderson who was also the author of this piece. And uh, someplace in the back around, oh, there she is, is our executive director, Ruth Anderson. Thank you. If, if you have any uh, questions or comments, we'd be glad to take them. 
Thank you. Thank you. The question is, how long did Douglas and his family stay here in Rochester? Uh, the, the most accurate estimate we can find is about 24 years. Uh, they were uh, previously in Massachusetts, but most of their time was spent here in Rochester. In fact, this is where the fifth, at, at the fifth of the five children were born, right here in Rochester. Her name was Annie, A-N-N-I-E, and she was the first to die. And part of her, we like, we like to, we have concluded that she died of a broken heart because at the time she uh, grew ill, her father was in seclusion over in England because when the when the arsenal, excuse me, when the uh, arsenal at Harpersbury, Virginia, had been uh, retaken by federal troops after John Brown had taken it one day, the federal troops the next day took it back. These troops were under the command, by the way, of Colonel Robert E. Lee. And we have a, a question over here. That's a wonderful question. We spent uh, literally years researching her. There are um, some books now that are starting to include her. She kept, kept to herself mainly while she was in Rochester. Um, one good source is a letter written by her daughter, Rosetta. Well, it was a small uh, story about her mother. And she tells how, you know, gives you kind of an insight about her mother. She was a very strong woman, very uh, stern. That's probably how she was able to raised four boys with Frederick being gone so much. Um, but yeah, she was, Rosetta said in her writings that when her mother said no, she meant no. <laughs> so that kind of gives you a glimpse of the type of woman that she was, which I admire because she had to be an outstanding woman. And I'd like to add to that. We have been as concerned about that as as the person who raised this question, and even more, because for the past, well, for about 15 years, we have been trying to persuade the city school district here in Rochester to rename one of its elementary schools, a school which building, which sits on the very spot where the Douglases had the home for 20 some years. And then always, uh, you know, tap dance and move and circle around that. But remembering uh, how I had been, uh, uh, shall we say, brought into a campaign by Ms. Hoffman over there getting a drink now, we ended up in us getting the Let's Have Tea sculpture of Douglas meeting with Susan, Susan Miana. She even wanted to do that. That's the one if you want to get your money back. But, but let me get to the point. The deal is, we did pursue the district for all that time, and finally, one of the board members, a very lovely lady, 
who worked for a, an agency on the side of town where I was once almost almost destitute, but they took me. She gave me the way in which we could go about it, and eventually we got the school district to finally name this building, the elementary school, sitting on the spot where the Douglas home was for 20-some years. The name is Anna Murray Douglas Academy. And uh, we thank you. We know, we know that you uh, have activities to go to, but thank you very, very much. Okay, we want to thank the Apollo. Thank you so very much for being here this afternoon. We have really enjoyed the presentation. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Okay, we're going to transition into our afternoon program, but before we do that, we have a few door prizes we'd like to share with you all. So give us just a moment and we'll, we'll uh, call some names and give out some door prizes. Uh, let's see. Is Fred Sharon Stokowski, are you still here?
Oh, is that better? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I don't want to eat it, but it looks like this one I have to. <laughs> so all of the candidates here at the front table? Yep. I think everybody is here except for Dan Spoon. And I understand he's speaking uh, somewhere, so he'll probably come in a little bit later. But thank you all for showing up this afternoon. I know you've done this several times, but we wanted to do it up close and personal. The phone is fine, but we want to see you guys, okay? I mean, we can see you guys. You know that, right? Just kidding. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but thank you all who, uh, who stayed with us this afternoon. We're uh, going to go ahead and get started. Um, is Kelly in here? Okay. So first, we're going to start out with having each candidate. You have three minutes to just tell us who you are and anything else that you'd like to share. And then we'll have a list of questions that have been submitted by the committee. And you each will have a chance to respond to the questions. And if we have time after that, we'll take additional questions from the floor. Okay? So we're going to start out with... Ray Campbell. Okay. Three minutes? Okay. That's, that's, that's no problem. The sooner you cut me off, the better. Good afternoon, uh, folks. Uh, from the Multicultural Affairs Committee. My name is Ray Campbell, and I'm seeking the office of Second Vice President of the American Council of the Blind. For the past six years, I've had the honor uh, stepping in for uh, filling the shoes of one of our ACB angels, Marlena Lieber, and serving as ACB Secretary. And that, along with being Chair of the Constitution and Bylaws Committee, and being on the board for several years, I think has prepared me well for this position. I only have three minutes, so I'd like to just kind of tailor this to some of the issues that I see in ACB that kind of revolve around some of the things that uh, are, deal with diversity and inclusion. Um, I actually have been doing a lot of diversity and inclusion during my professional work. Uh, I was uh, president of the uh, Employee Business Partner Group uh, at Lucent Technologies for people with disabilities. In that role, um, <clears throat> along with the role I'm in now, which is the Chief of Staff of the newly formed Business Resource Group for Employees with Disabilities at United Airlines, uh, where I work as Senior Accessibility Analyst, I uh, work closely with a lot of other groups around the diversity and inclusion space. One of the issues that I'm concerned about in ACB is the diversity of leadership. If you look at the five candidates who are running this year, uh, we have, we're good candidates, don't get me wrong, I think we're good people, but we're all, except for one, we're all white males. And I think that ACB, one of the things we've got to figure out how to do, we may need your help with this, is to recruit candidates of various backgrounds to run for leadership positions, whether it be people of color, women, LGBTQ uh, plus, uh, Hispanic, uh, Asian, or Native American and other uh, folks as well. Uh, ACB is a diverse organization of people from various walks of life and it, its leadership needs to reflect that. And so I think we need to do a little better job in that area uh, going forward. Um, how we do that again, th that's where I think we may need your help. Um, I think that um, 
it's important uh, ACB and the affiliates are the backbone of ACB. I think we need to do what we can to strengthen our affiliates, whether it be helping those affiliates uh, through uh, grant opportunities or other uh, short-term assistance that we can provide, uh, help them financially, or also um, um, helping maybe encouraging our sponsors to work with our affiliates, um, on state affiliates and special interest affiliates. So uh, that's all I have right now. I look forward to your questions. I sure would appreciate your vote. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Ray. And uh, I, I've been told that I messed up. It was supposed to be two minutes and not three, so I apologize for that. Okay. So if I was going to continue that in a minute, I'm sorry. But we'll make it up at some point. Good afternoon, Mark Reichert here. How are y'all doing? We were all commenting uh, up here that, wow, wasn't that presentation we just saw unbelievable? That was incredible. Um, I appreciate you all applauding it. I wasn't really trying to go for you know, making you do that, but but I, I I mean I have to confess I'm sitting back there. I don't know if this happens to any of you. Um, as soon as I tell you that I just turned 50, probably most people in this room might say something like, "Oh, you're just a kid. What are you talking about?" But I, maybe you have this experience. Um, I find myself getting getting teared up more about things when you hear it. Um, the sentimentality of things that you might see on television, the cheesiest things you might see. And then Lord knows, uh, you see a presentation like what we just got a chance to see, and I was only really able to come in in the last few minutes of it. Um, and uh, something profound like that, it has, a, has an effect. Um, and I think it does have, have more of an effect as we get older, for sure. But I just wanted to share that with you. Um, so again, Mark Reichert. Um, the wordy guy who runs our resolutions process. Um, now you know me because of that. Um, I assume most others of you probably know me because for some 25 years or more I've worked at the national level doing public policy and governmental relations work. Um, not only for the American Council of the Blind, for which I was honored to serve as a staff member for about a year and a half or so, long way back in the day, uh, but for a number of other organizations, most recently the American Foundation for the Blind for some 13 years. And I've tried to make this point in other um, contexts and other caucuses that we've had, but it, it really is true. I think in the blindness and vision impairment community, um, our organizations really do look to, uh, to, to the folks who do the policy work at the national level as sort of their right-hand strategy person. And what that's meant for me is that in addition to my private life where I've had a lot of experience working on boards and indeed, at one point, being the executive director of our professional association in our field, um, the, uh, I've, I've had a lot of experience working at the national level, and I look forward to bringing that to this team of, I think, outstanding candidates. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Well, good, e good afternoon, <laughs> Multicultural Affairs Committee. I'm the lone female in this group. Me and my guys, I guess. <laughs> That's right. I feel privileged. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Denise Pauley. I am from Lacey, Washington. Uh, Lacey is about the bedroom community of Olympia. You know, a name like Lacey, it has to be a bedroom community. Um, we're about 60 miles south of Seattle, to give you a little bit of reference. I am running for the office of ACD secretary. 
Um, I currently am completing my third year on the ACP Board of Directors and have felt very privileged to be in that position. I am also chairing the ACB Scholarship Committee and I served on and chaired the ACB Board of Publications. And it was really in that capacity where I got to really see the way ACB communicates both internally and externally. I think one of, the, my, one of the greatest things that I've been able to do here in ACB was during my time on the Board of Publications because I got to be in the forefront of moving us from a situation where we were only going to be able to put out four issues a year due to budget constraints to getting us back to being able to put out 12 issues a year with six of them being hard copy and six of them being electronic. And we were also able to really increase the quality and quantity of information that went into the ACB Braille Forum. And I felt very privileged to be a part of that opportunity. I really think that one of ACB's greatest challenges right now is membership retention and membership growth. We are living in a society of people who are not joiners. People don't want to join things anymore. They're the younger, um, the younger population is not into what we used to call quote-unquote causes. They don't, they don't know what it means to really be advocate for and, and do things to promote our civil rights. And so I want to be a part of trying to bring people forward and trying to find ways of making people want to belong, making people feel like they can belong. And I really believe that our special interest affiliates and our committees are the backbone for making that happen because you're focusing on real specific things. So thank you very much, and I welcome your vote. Yeah, keep it out. <laughs> I'm David Trot, and I'm coming to you today asking your vote uh, to reelect me as treasurer. I've been your treasurer for the last two years, and prior to that, I was on the ACB board for many years. I've served under three presidents, uh, Chris Gray, Mitch Pomerantz, and Kim Charlson. And under each of those presidents, I was able to learn and grow in this organization. Uh, so it was kind of an on-the-job mentorship program for me. Also, I'm kind of the odd man out up here today because I'm the only one with vision. I'm low vision. I'm sure we all have a vision. But uh, I think ACB has come a long way and we have a long way to go in our cultural diversity. But I, I think at one time, uh, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Uh, and I'm glad to see that those things have changed. I want them to change for the better. I want us to be included and all be as one. We work hard for the lives of the blind. And it needs to be the lives of all blind and not just one group of blind. So again, I come to you and I ask for your support. I hope that the jobs that I've done over the years is good enough that I've earned your vote this week. Thank you.
Thank you, Peggy. My name is Dan Spoon. I'm from Orlando, Florida, and I'm running for the office of president of ACB. Uh, I want to first say uh, just it's been a unique experience for us officers, uh, candidates for our uh, office this uh, through all the candidates' uh, forums and caucuses we've got to participate in over the last few weeks, and that we're all at this point in time running unopposed. And so it, it's been an interesting conversation, and I, and I really want it to be a good conversation that it's not just for you all to learn about about us, but I hope it's also, and I want it to be an opportunity for us to learn about you, your committee, the Multicultural Affairs Committee, and what issues and concerns are on your mind. So we can talk a little bit, but what we mainly need to be up here to doing today is listening, listening to your concerns, and I'm here to do that. Um, I, I want to take a moment to just say that, uh, you know, Mitch Pomerantz, I don't know if Mitch is in the room or not, but uh, he was, uh, you know, kind enough to give me some opportunities when I first joined the board in 2012 to to shepherd some our goal two committee from a financial standpoint and i think our board has worked really hard over the last seven six seven eight years i'm sure even way before that but but for the first time i think we've really reached financial stability here over the last three years and uh, it's really it's a good feeling to be able to grow staff to hire new people on and to not be worrying where every diamond nickel is going to come from to keep the organization afloat. So I'm very proud of, uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm very proud of, of the little contribution I had and, and very proud of our board for what we've done to, uh, to accomplish that with all the hard work of Eric Bridges, our executive director, Kim Charlton as our president. But, you know, I've always said that, you know, Oh, gosh, okay. Nice to see you. All right, we'll talk more later. Okay, well, thank you so much to all of our candidates, and we're going to move forward with our questions. And we have a question. Um, uh, Sandra Summers is going to do the first question, and then Kelly's going to come with a list of questions that were compiled by the committee. So, Donna, would you take Sandra's I shall. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good afternoon. So just a general question. I know that um, ACB is definitely, we, we operate on a lot of different fronts. There are lots of different moving pieces. But I'm wondering what can be done to ensure that we have diversity in all of our brochures, our videos, our um, ACB has a wealth of talent, and, and I, I'm just wondering what will be done to ensure that um, it is evenly utilized. And so you see the diversity of ACB, because we're the diversity of America, in all of ACB's publications. How, how will you all go about ensuring that that happens? Sandra, thank you very much for that question. And I think, really, it, it's by being intentional. It doesn't happen if you don't put attention towards it. And I think that's something I've learned throughout my career is if you want something to happen, you, you've got to really 
make a plan about it, and you've got to execute that plan. And so what what happens to us a lot, I think we, we take the, the, the easy way out or the easiest solution or the quickest solution, and we don't look at being intentional and being inclusive. Uh, I've grown up in a community in Orlando, Florida, which is extremely diverse, extremely diverse neighborhood, and and it grew up in a in a very diverse high school with all kinds of uh, uh, you know uh, demographics of, of different types of folks, and so I grew up with diversity. It it really it, it, it's it's in my fiber and in my bones. I think we've demonstrated that through my opportunity as an officer liaison to the International Relations Committee with you and your team. And, uh, and I really do believe we just have to be intentional about it. We have to make sure that we represent appropriately our organization. Thank you, Dan. Okay. <clears throat> Sandra? Okay, I'll, let, I'll wait till she starts. <clears throat> Okay, thank you, Sandra, for that question. Um, very good <clears throat> question. I, I think that one of the ways that we can, there are a number of ways I think we can utilize the talent that ACB has. One of the areas that I've been <clears throat> saddened to not see move forward as much as I think it should is putting out more information in Spanish. Um, we have a huge Spanish pop speaking population in the United States that, uh, and, you know, that we serve we need to serve and um, I know we made some attempts a few years ago to do the Washington Connection in Spanish um, that didn't go as far as we wanted but you know we've got through our social media channels through our YouTube channel we can certainly put out more things in other languages and other uh, and, and stuff like that I think we can certainly look to do those things I also think um, when I think of diversity and inclusion I think of including maybe people amongst us who are not always included as much as possible. That's why I'm so pleased, and yes, I know I live with the chairman of this committee, but that's why I'm so pleased to see the work and the efforts that have been done to make sure that our deafblind participants are able to fully participate in our conferences and conventions. That has been, uh, it, 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 and, 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 and you know what? The thing about it that I'm most glad to see is, look, Let's do it, we'll find a way to pay for it. Because some of the interpreting and stuff is expensive. But darn it, we need to make sure those people are included. And I think we, the other thing I'm real happy to see happening is some of the things coming out of our conventions and meetings, uh, strategic plan action team, looking to make sure that we can at least help, find ways to try and help people who may need some extra assistance, that maybe have other disabilities or have other uh, issues that they're dealing with. Uh, to be able to fully participate in ACB as much as possible. So uh, I think we can talk about sort of other languages and stuff, but I think even going farther than that, folks within our own community. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Great, uh, Mark Riker here. Thanks so much, Sandra. Really appreciate the question. I will tell you, to answer your question, what I have done in this area, what I served, as the executive director of the professional association in our field, so AER, standing for Association for Ed and Rehab of the Blind and Visually Impaired, we were absolutely, and quite frankly, AER still continues to be, our whole field continues to be desperate for additional professionals to meet the needs of all of us who are blind and visually impaired, kids, adults, and seniors. And uh, 
How many of you out there, by a sign of applause, think that the people who provide services to us ought to look and come from communities and backgrounds that actually represent How about that? So that is exactly the challenge that we had to face at AER, which was if you're gonna go through some kind of a campaign and we raised about $100,000, I helped make some of that happen because I was the ED at that time. You pull from various organizations around the country and say, let's get together, let's put a campaign together to try to recruit new professionals. You know what? It is a real struggle and one of my fellow candidates up here said, said the magic word and that is you have to make a choice to do this work intentionally. It can't just be that, gee, maybe it'll happen, especially considering, frankly, how homogenous, if I can put it that way, our, our community is. Certainly it's true among the professionals. Um, and, and, and so as we look at ACB and we say, we wanna actually communicate more about exactly what the whole breadth and depth of the blindness community actually looks like and does, does ACB reflect it, we have to make that choice to say that's the message we want to convey, that it isn't just a bunch of you know Northern Europeans. Uh, the simple truth of the matter is uh, our community is different. We just need to reflect that. One footnote I do want to caution us on though, and that is the last thing that we want to get into is a profound and frankly exploitative tokenism. And this is the biggest problem. I, when I, I was so angry when people said, when I was running AER, well, gee, well, I guess what you're really talking about is putting a person of color and a woman on that thing. Well, I guess we'll be all set so long as we do that. And that's what and that's what that kind of attitude can devolve into. And so, in order to avoid that, you know what you have to do? That attitude has no integrity. What has integrity? Having a membership outreach, active, active uh, campaign that says we want to reach out to the community that it, that is out there that is indeed already diverse. We don't have to try to make it diverse, it is diverse. We just haven't been reaching out to it. And you know what? When you recruit more and more people like that, who are in fact truly representative of how our community really is, then you have more people for an Eric, or hopefully our new president, Dan, to pick up the phone and say, hi there, we're putting a video together. I'd love for you to be a part of this. That's my Sandra and committee, thank you for the question. You know, I, I'm all for recruitment and everything, but I really think that the bigger issue is that I think ACB is, it's about time we do a culture shift. ACB, it, it needs to become automatic. It needs to become uh, something that, you, that just happens that you don't have to stop and think about. And I don't think ACB is at a point yet where we are in being completely inclusive of all of the populations within ACB to ensure that we are including them and, the, and including all of us and what we bring to the organization. So I think we really, it needs to be start with a culture shift uh, and a shift in attitude within ACB. And we need, we need all of you to step up and say, we want to become leaders of this organization. We want to, through um, what we can bring and through the role models that we can be to bring in 
uh, other blind people of color, of different races, of you know whatever diversity we're talking about, that in doing that, then inclusion in our brochures and inclusion in our videos and on our YouTube channel will happen just automatically. Otherwise, the minute you have to stop and think, oh dear, are we including everybody? Is there anybody we're leaving out? Then it becomes, it, it becomes something that doesn't just happen smoothly. And I, I'm really wanting to see the culture shift within ACB as a whole. Thank you. Thank you, Denise. I'm gonna answer this question in kind of a different way, in kind of a weird way. We actually started doing this and it happened by accident. Uh, I don't think that we ever intentionally did include or didn't include anybody, but what we did to start including was we asked for people's stories for our mail outs, for our, multi, our mailing program. And we got several stories from different, different areas, different backgrounds, different races, and we've used those. Uh, I think that committee-wise, we tend to be in a committee slump where we tend to re, just rerun people over and over and over again. I think it's time that our local affiliates and our chapters stood up and were strong and said, hey, we got this one and we got that one that are qualified people and they want to serve on these committees. And I think it's time that, that our officers and our leadership listen to those people. And you know, if somebody's giving you 15 years of service on a committee, it is nice to ask them if they would be willing to step down and let somebody else take have a turn because I did this actually during uh, Mitch Pomerantz's administration. Actually, I asked him to take me out as chair of resource and development. I had been resource and development chair for about six or eight years, you know, and, and over a period of time, you get burned in one area. That doesn't mean you're not effective in others. And we just need to be more open. And I think once we open up, it'll be like our mailing program. Uh, we will have more diversity and we will find that it will be a pleasant experience like we did with the mail. Uh, we had a lady who was one of the biggest, you know, in the uh, history of our mailings. None of us knew anything about till we reached out. And we're not reaching out. We're, we're you know, we're running people. That's essentially what we're doing. Oh, let me hush this woman not getting me, she's rough. Thank you. <laughs> And I'm sitting right okay. there if y'all wonder why I'm scared. <laughs> All right, thank you, David. Okay, Kelly, are you in the room with our questions? Okay. All right, if you want to come and read the first question Okay, so the first question is, what would be your plan for the future for diversifying ACD, social status, cultural age, etc.? Each other, one minute. Okay. So, plan again. I think uh, right off the bat, if I'm fortunate enough to become president of ACB, is to really 
start by posting out to leadership and saying, who, who is interested in, in being involved? Not saying, I've already made up my mind, I've already decided. I would like to reach out to the membership and find out who is interested in being a committee chair, who is interested in serving on a committee. And then at the same time, I would like to uh, spend some time with some of the key leaders in our community that I'm aware of, that I've got had an opportunity to serve with, folks like uh, Michael Garrett and Peggy Garrett and George Holliday and Mitch Pomerantz and many others, and find out from them who, who do they believe is, is I, I, I'm ready, really ready, willing, and able to take advice and listen, and, and from that, then make a decision of who the right folks would be for our position. What insurance company is it that says, that's enough talking, it's time to get listening? Uh, Dan's exactly right. We need to listen and, I, and to everyone out there and find out who is qualified and, and who are good people that want to serve ACB. And I don't think it's just a matter of racial and ethnic diversity in that. You asked about social status. And I think that's important too. You know, we had a situation last year where we had to twist arms to find two candidates to fill all the board positions that we had available. I think part of the reason for that is right now we don't reimburse expenses for our board members. Now we do give a stipend, we've raised that, which is I think gonna help make it possible for more people to uh, serve on the board because you don't have to be uh, have a lot of money to do it. I think that's true. The second thing I'd say is there are groups that I don't think we always talk about. We talk about people of color and African-American, Hispanic, and LGBTQ plus things and people of that nature. We don't talk about Native Americans that much. I mean, we have, uh, and we have a leader among us, Deanna Quietwater Noriega, who is a wonderful leader. We don't talk about Asians. I think the sentiment is, generally speaking, that Asians have it all good. Well, we don't know that, and we need to reach out and find out how to recruit more people of Asian descent as well. Thank you. Thank you. So Mark here, the first thing I'd say about you know, what is my plan, uh, it isn't gonna be my plan. Uh, it's gonna be, I, 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 my, my first sense as the person, if you put your faith in me to be your first vice president, it's not to be the yes man forever the president he or she may be, but it certainly is to be that person's right hand to, do, to, to help him or her succeed, but to help all of us succeed on the board, among us officers, on the board and all of us. So. The plan isn't gonna be mine, it's gonna be a shared vision, and if it's not a shared vision, that plan is going nowhere. Second thing I'd say is, um, we got absolutely do need to reach out, and all of those things that folks have said in terms of intentionally choosing and reaching out to other folks. I don't know about you, one of my favorite comedians and storytellers is Garrison Keeler, and Garrison Keeler has a fun line, and one of his lines is, one of the problems with democracy is that sometimes it attracts a lot of people with time to kill. All right, and what you don't want to do is to try to find a bunch of people with time to kill. You want people who've got a fire lit under them, and that means, yes, we reach out and see who's interested in doing some things, but we have to do, and I think, Dan, you mentioned this, take that intentional look as well to raise up leaders, which means we're gonna look to affiliates uh, and, and, and groups like this one to say, counsel us on who some of 
we, we know who some of those folks are. Who should we be reaching out to? Because maybe there are some hidden gems out there. I think the thing that I would do is get to know you as individual. I want to be the one who can bring along and encourage individuals to move into leadership roles. If I don't know you, if I don't know what you could bring to the organization, what, if I don't know your skills and abilities, then I can't encourage, and I want to be an encourager. So my plan would be to just have the opportunity to get to know you as people, irrespective of whatever the diversity area is that we're talking about. What do you as a person bring to the organization that would help move the organization forward? And that would really be my plan for making us more inclusive. Thank you. This is David again. My plan is to do exactly what I've always done. I'm out there among you. I'm out there listening to you. You know I'm everywhere. I, I bring people to the restroom. I, I, I do all these different things. And do, in doing this, I learn about people. I learn about their affiliates because I ask questions. Uh, that, that paid off earlier last year when President Charleston asked me about what I thought about a person being the chair of a new committee, well, actually, a new chair for a committee, and I was able to answer her because I knew that person. You can't just guess, and my goal has always been to be there for you, not, as an, not just as an officer, but as a volunteer and as a friend, and as a friend, I listen, and I listen to anybody that comes to me, calls me, or whatever. And that would be my way to continue to make this happen because I think it's the best way. All right, thank you all for that. And David, just hold on to the mic, and Kelly's going to read the next question for us. Okay, so the next question is, how will you reach out to involve younger people and minorities to fulfill a more integral part of the of ACB as a whole? And I think that most of you have kind of touched on that pretty well. So you know what, we're gonna move on to the next question just to make sure we get through all of them. Oh, there's only 27 more things. <laughs> 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 okay, so the next question is, what is your role in your individual chapter in creating diversity? My role in my individual chapter to create diversity is actually been twofold. Um, as part of recruitment, um, I came up in a different era. I went to the Alabama School for the Blind 
in the late 60s. And when we integrated, we were taught, you know, everybody called each other brother and sister back then. Well, when you live in a dorm with uh, 35 or 40 other guys, the term brother really means something. And when you're constantly with other people, sister means something. So from somebody from Alabama, I, I view race and culture totally different than most that are out in the public world because I was raised in a culturally diverse environment to begin with. Um, I think that what I do is I go out and recruit people. Yes, uh, I do recruit specifically uh, in the Hispanic areas and in, in the African American areas for the simple reason that I don't feel like we have enough representation. But I recruit them as friends first and then as ACB members. Thank you. Thank you, David. Well, I would have to be honest and say I probably haven't done as good a job at it as I should as president of our state affiliate. But once again, I do tend to look at people as individuals and my members as individuals and what they can bring. And I try to uh, understand culturally where they're coming from. I try to understand culturally um, ideas that are brought forward. And I try to be as open and receptive of new ideas and new thought processes as I can. And I know that um, if you were to look at my affiliate, we don't have a lot of individuals um, of other, you know, um, of other diversities, but uh, it's, it's an area that we certainly are going to continue to work on and move forward. Thank you, Denise. Mark here. Uh, so, you know, I mentioned at the very beginning of all this that my work has been at the national level. And, as, and because the organizations that I've worked with at the national level, AFB, National Industries for the Blind, you go through all, all the Bs, all the alphabet soup, um, all except for one headquartered in Baltimore. I haven't worked for that one. Uh, other than that, um, I, I, because of that, I have tended to steer clear of, in the past, ACB politics, and because, whether it be at the chapter or the national level, because I didn't want there to ever be any, you know, uh, concern about a conflict. Uh, you work that closely with national organizations. You got to watch it. Uh, so my life has changed now. So it, it frees me up to do some more things. I will tell you that in that national work, one of the things that I've certainly learned, and it's been a very effective tool in advocating for the various issues that we all care about, is that you you absolutely cannot and should not assume. And frankly, you ought to celebrate and take most advantage of how diverse people are. And I'm gonna say some things, you, you know, you might roll your little nose at me or wrinkle your nose at me, but it's like this. Just because someone is a person of color doesn't mean that they're going to be a liberal Democrat. And just because someone's from an LGBTQ perspective doesn't mean that they're necessarily gonna be a fiscal conservative or a liberal. And the notion of, and, and we do this sort of thing all the time where we don't treat we think of people as categories and not as individuals. I, what I've always tried to do is to try to find those people that go with us on campaigns who are true, ge truly genuine to who they are, what they believe, and therefore those people come across being a lot more authentic than they otherwise would be. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
Denise, I probably haven't done as good a job at this at the ACB, uh, either local chapter or state affiliate level as I would like to. Um, and I'm not proud of the fact that our state affiliate probably is not as diverse as it needs to be. But uh, I would say this, I think some of the things I have done though is I've tried to, and I think this is a, 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 a mark for inclusion, one of the things I've tried to do is find things for every member in the organization to do. One of my most rewarding things that I did when I was president of our local chapter is we had a member, paid her dues every year, was very faithful, was a shut-in, couldn't come to meetings. And I said, you know what? This would be a good person for our chapter calling committee. And I called her up and I asked her to serve. I never heard somebody so thrilled to be asked to serve in, that, in a capacity like that. So I think it's, um, not just about recruiting, but I think you also need to find things for, to truly include people. You need to get to know them as individuals, understand what talents they have, and reach out to them. If you're not sure, reach out to them and say, hey, I've got this opportunity. Would you like to give it a shot? And if not, and say, hey, you know, I'll help you, I'll encourage you. And if not, that's fine too, but uh, at least offer the opportunity. Thank you.
And um, I've been able to go from being uh, president of my local chapter to moving up to being president of my state affiliate to coming to ACB and serving um, in my various capacities. And now I'm taking the next step in my journey. And I feel like everything that I have learned along the way has helped me to grow. And I just thank everybody in this organization for having given me the opportunities that I've had. And I pledge to you that as your secretary, my, uh, the, the thing that I most want to see happen is open, transparent communication. I think the board and the staff need to not continue working in a vacuum, which is what I felt sometimes. And we need to be more open and transparent. Thank you, Denise. Okay, I guess I'm next. Since I got the mic. <laughs> um, okay. I really would appreciate your support. Um, I, I must have been doing something right over the years. I've been elected to several different things, and I've served in several different things. But know in this time that I've also grown and learned and I can continue growing and learning by your questions today. This is how I focus my future in ACB and how I work as an officer or a board member is during the candidates time, we ask that the questions they ask is my guidance. My, my thing to you would be as I close, the things that we said on our candidates page and the things that we said to you in all these caucuses, the things that we've committed to do, ask us in three months, and ask us in six months what we've done. Thank you. Thank you. Two things to answer this question. Number one, it's not enough to recruit people of diverse backgrounds. We need to find things, get them involved, and do things to retain them. Uh, I think we've done a great job in, uh, we have two very dynamic younger folks on our board now, and Sarah Conrad and Katie Frederick. We need more people like that to come in, and we need more people to truly come in from diverse backgrounds and get them involved and use their skills and talents, just like we do everybody else's. Secondly, I think inclusion is more about than just including people of different races and ethnic backgrounds. It's people of all abilities, whether there's somebody who's deafblind or whether somebody has other disabilities or that sort of thing. This convention, for example, I think is terrible for somebody that has a, a problem walking. It's, it, we need to look at those kinds of things. I sure appreciate your vote for second vice president and I thank you for the opportunity. Sit here blushing, saying what I'm about to say to you. 
as you consider about who you would want to be your first vice president, think about the things that you'd want in that person. Uh, either by choice or by request or by necessity, if that first vice president needs to step in temporarily or permanently, you'd want to see characteristics in that person. You'd want to know that they had experience at the national level, not only as a chief executive of an organization, but also with uh, governance experience, having chaired past boards, I have that. You'd want someone who understands this field inside and out, but not only the, the, the legislative or policy side of things, but the politics, even with a small p. You'd want someone who understood the background and how we've come to where we've been over the last 25 years within ACB. I've lived it having been both mentored by and mentored other people who are in leadership positions within ACB. I bring those skills to this table and I'm frankly so excited to be part of a team like this where I think each one of us can be kind of a gem, a proverbial metaphor about the net of gems where every gem has something to shine and it's reflecting in each other. I think frankly that's what you get with this team of uh, officers. I hope uh, to have your support and uh, God bless in the Council of Blind. Thank you. I know. Thank you, Mark and team. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And first, Mark and Ray, you're scaring my wife to death. So I wish we quit having these conversations about if something happens to the president. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's got Leslie really, really worried. <laughs> But but I I do want to say that that this is a really is it's a wonderful team and it is a daunting responsibility and we are we are here to listen we are here to learn I'm so glad that the multicultural affairs committee had this caucus today these are the type of caucuses we need to have we're listening to real issues from real people and making sure that we do a really good job of being inclusive. Mitch and I had this conversation in DC just a few months ago, and I'll reiterate what I said before. It will not happen if we're not intentional about it. You have my promise that I'll be intentional, and I really would appreciate your vote for president of the ACB. Thank you. All right, folks, these are our candidates. These are the upcoming leaders of ACB. I hope that you all have listened very carefully to their responses to our questions. I hope that our questions have helped give them a better understanding of some of our expectations of them as our leaders. So thank you all for coming, for taking time out to share with us this afternoon who you are and what your plans are for ACP. And thanks to all of you who stayed with us this afternoon. And I apologize that you were not able to ask questions, but of course we went a little bit over on time. But I hope that everybody benefited. And thank you again. Town Hall, Wednesday night. And have a great rest of your day.